the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We see it in the movies all the time. Someone to represent our side to go against someone who's representing their side. Whoever wins, we take it all. It's even in Scripture. We'll explore this dynamic next. Join us. And Goliath, a classic example to represent one group choosing one person to go against a group's other person. Instead of going to war with everyone, we just choose one from each side and let the chips fall where they may. Well, this is what we're seeing when God tells us through Paul that death to us all came through Adam's sin. He represented all of us. We're in chapter 5 of Romans, verses 12 through 21. Join us there as Pastor Gary Wagner continues our journey through Romans. The sin in question is a definitive act of sinning, not a series of sins, or not the actual transgression that every man commits. Many have wanted to make that phrase say that. Pelagius wanted to. He lived and died on making this phrase say that all men have sinned means that we bring death to ourselves by our own individual decisions to sin, but it won't work. It also is not true historically. Infants that die in the womb don't die because they have actually sinned. They haven't actually sinned. And it could be even, it could even be true if we take sin in a little bit broader sense to mean willful, knowing transgressions of God's law. But the young who die in infancy have not sinned. So that is not what Paul is talking about here. Paul is not talking about our individual personal transgressions. By the way, that also goes against verses 13 and 14. For Paul says there that those who did not sin, like Adam, did not die. Plus, the passage continued emphasis between one man and one offense utterly refute this interpretation. But there's even something worse, and that is, Paul is only teaching. Now, you're going to have to listen carefully. If Paul is only teaching that all men die because all men sin, then the parallel has to hold with respect to Christ, which is that case would mean we are all saved by our own obedience. I brought death to myself because I sinned. Well, then your only option is to bring life to yourself by your own obedience. But again, that is impossible. There's only one option to interpret this passage. And the reason I'm going into such detail, beloved, is because this is that critical to our faith. There's only one option 
that does justice to the analogy between Adam and Christ, the verb tense, tense, past, momentary, single action. Is that what Paul is saying? That all have sinned means that in Adam's sin, we all sinned. In Adam's sin, we have all sinned. In fact, if we had a Greek Testament in front of us, the phrase that is translated in the King James and the, New, and the um, ASV for that, for that could just as easily be translated in him or by him or in whom or by whom, as the old Latin Vulgate translates it, and as Matthew Henry and a few other commentators have taken it. And that would make, it, make the point unmistakable. And what is that? In Adam's sin, death comes to us all because we all sinned in Adam. We sinned in Adam, not personally. We weren't there, not mystically. But we sinned because he was our representative. And his decision was our decision because we were in him. It is not actually our transgressions that are in view. That would overrun the entire, overturn the entire passage. It is rather the horrible, universal, penal death that has come to all men because of Adam's one sin, which is also our sin because of our union with him. But of course, that also means, which is why he gets, why he goes to such links here, that we are saved by the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ imputed to us, that is, to all who believe in him. Now, understand this truth is the impregnable foundation of our salvation. We are justified. We are declared right before God by Christ's obedience, a righteousness that is outside of us. Remember, Adam's sin, in a personal sense, was outside of us. It is by virtue of the covenant that God made with him that sin was imputed to us. And it can be said that we sinned in Adam then. The same thing is true in Christ. As Paul will expand on in a little bit, and there is great confidence in this. In God's mercy, he takes the obedience of the second Adam, Jesus Christ. And he imputes that to me, a filthy sinner. And you, a filthy sinner who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and runs to him and clings to him. Justification as a doctrine as, and as something you personally must hold on to to be saved is always going to rest on shaky grounds unless we understand that our death is far more than simply the consequences of our personal sin. We are guilty. You are guilty. If you are five years old, you are guilty. If you are in the womb, you are guilty of a deeper rebellion against God. Adam was our father and our head. He stood in our place acting for us, just as Christ was our substitute, obeying and dying in our place. And I hope you're not repulsed by this like 90% of Americans would be. Do you mean to tell me honestly in this day of smartphones and Facebook and Google and even airplanes, that I'm condemned for the transgression committed by someone I never met centuries, millennia ago? You've got to be kidding. You know, many Bible scholars, 
you know, all those you see on TV when there's a crisis and they need a talking head Bible liberal to say something about it. They do all they can to devise really clever interpretive schemes to get around this, to undermine our solidarity in Adam. And the church has failed to resist these wolves, which is why there is a growing acceptance within the broader church of other religions being an acceptable way to God. Why shouldn't they be? If we are not guilty of original sin, then we don't come into this world contaminated, and so we chart our own destiny. One man chooses this path, another man chooses that path. Do you understand why Satan inspired the liberals and the German rationalists and the Harvards and the Yales to begin their first attacks on Genesis and the Pentateuch? This is why. Because if you get rid of Adam or you make him an obscure, shadowy figure who has certainly not the first man created immediately by the hand of God and certainly he was not the covenant man who sinned for us, and we in him, if we get rid of that, guess what else we wind up getting rid of? We get rid of the exclusive cross-centered Christian message. We get rid of having to tell the world there's only one way to be made right with God. And that is through the blood and the righteousness of the God-man, Jesus Christ. If we get rid of that, then we get rid of our exclusivity. And we become tolerant. And we embrace everybody. We can take our place, you see, at the table of social and public opinion and really be looked at as advocates of humanitarianism and the new world order of rebellion against God. Understand, that is where liberalism came from. It came from the black heart of Satan, I will do everything I can, he says, to pull the rug out from under the idea that men must look to the crucified Christ to be saved alone. You see, once you embrace this passage, you have nowhere else to go. If I do not run to Christ, I am damned. If I do not see my contamination in Adam, all the motivation to run to Christ is gone except for, you know, I am kind of needy. And every now and then going to church would probably be a good thing. I'm kind of a good person, but I do have a few rough edges. That is not me. I don't have just rough edges. I am shattered. I am broken in the rebellion against God. Broken. I have nothing to bring before him. My doom, you see, was sealed 6,000 years ago when in Adam I reached out my hand and I said, I will not do what God wants me to do. And some of you here are saying this right now in some areas of your life. I will not do what God wants me to do. You see, Adam is not dead. His spirit is still alive and we see it. Our only hope is to run to Jesus Christ. He is the second and only head who can alone save us by his obedience and his righteousness. And still, the church is fearful of proclaiming this. There is no tolerance in this at all. 
tolerance be damned in the pit from which it came. It came from Satan's hardened black heart. Tolerance, enlightenment, different strokes for different folks. It is from the pit. It is darkness. It is unbelief. It is devilish. And it leads us away from our only remedy in Jesus Christ. We must flee to him. But many in the church are willing to give up all of this. I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear about Adam. You see, they're more willing. They're more than willing to lose the this covenant representation in Christ as long as they can escape that representation in Adam. But understand it is perilous exchange because it means then that we are all damned. And it is, of course, destructive to the gospel imperative. At one level here is why we should be motivated to share the gospel. Every single man, woman, and child that does not confess Jesus Christ as Lord and devote themselves to him will spend an eternity in hell. No matter how nice they are. No matter what they've done for the human race. It doesn't matter how many billions they give away to humanitarian causes. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Knowing the terror of the Lord, we, and I'm going to insert, must persuade men. But see, the terror is gone if Adam is a myth. There's no terror because there is no covenant. There is no, in Adam's sin, we all sinned. Now, it is just me and my little life. So understand, beloved, ideas do have consequences. And to deny that we have sinned in Adam is to fight against God. It is to reject the way he wisely determined to create and govern our race. But by far the worst loss is that if we reject Adam, his headship over us, we have no recourse in Christ's headship. These two things are set together in God's providential government of the world. To reject our covenant guilt in Adam is to repudiate covenant, right, covenant righteousness in Christ. Now, verses 13 and 14, even in the Greek text, are set off by a little dash there. You see that? Or parentheses. Because it is meant to be an explanation of verse 12. And that is to make sure we understand exactly what Paul means here. That when he says, for that all have sinned, is not referring to our actual transgressions, but to that, but to that day when Adam rebelled against God. Paul wants us to understand that the reign of sin and death is due to our complicity, our solidarity in Adam's rebellion. Now, in the period before the giving of the law, verse 13, for until the law, sin was in the world. Okay, there was sin. But notice sin is not imputed where there is no law. But it was imputed. Men did die. Why? Before the giving of the law, there was sin. There was death. How can this be in the absence of God's law? Because there was another law at work. The law or reign of sin and judgment descending from Adam's sin. And by which we were all reckoned to be sinners. And that is why in verse 14, death reigned from Adam to Moses. There didn't have to be a new law given. 
the old law still stood and men were condemned and died and were enslaved to sin because of Adam's transgression. No other law, no other offense was necessary to bring men under the judgment of God. We sinned in Adam. God spoke to Adam. God gave the law in Adam. Adam heard it. Adam disobeyed and sin and death reigned. And that is what Paul means in verse 14 by those who had not sinned after the likeness of similitude of Adam's transgression. What is the difference between Adam's sin and those who sinned between Adam and Moses? Adam sinned in the face of a clear command from God. God told him, don't eat. If you don't eat, you will be blessed. If you do eat it, you will die. But from Adam to Moses, God gave clear communication to just a very, very few. In fact, you can trace it to 10 big families. That is it. The vast majority of the human race was judicially consigned to ignorance. That death still reigned. Why? Because of the sin in Adam. There didn't have to be a new law given because of the sin of Adam. Now, Paul concludes in verse 14 by calling Adam a type of Christ. Now, I think that's a bit bizarre. I have always thought that this was a strange use of the word type. We often think, well, Joseph was a type of Christ. He went from the dungeon to the throne. Jesus went from the grave to the right hand of the father. We understand the use of the word type, but here, of course, we could say that he was an anti-type, but that's not what Paul uses, the word Paul uses. I think that he mean, what he means is that Adam was the type, the paradigm of the God, way God relates to us. In other words, our condemnation in Adam was a type of our justification in Christ. We're not guilty simply by following Adam's bad example. We sinned in him and his guilt was imputed to us because he was our head. And on the other side, we are not made righteous by being good. We are made righteous by Christ's obedience imputed to us. In that way, Adam was a type of Christ. In one head, Adam ruined us. The second Adam, the second head recovers us. By giving us obedience in place of our rebellion in Adam. Life in place of our death. Now I'll just make a few comments in conclusion. I'm very aware as we go through these verses that this is like a spiral. As it continually is enfolding upon itself and introducing new layers of complexities. So I can't begin to understand the inexhaustible riches of God's wisdom and grace in saving us in this fashion. But one point is very clear. Now listen, if you don't get anything else, and I hope you got everything, but get this, there is absolutely nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God. We can do nothing. In our filth, our terrible rebellion in Adam with him, we heard the voice of God, and we rejected his word. With Adam, we looked on this once pristine earth and ungratefully said, it's not enough. With Adam, we demanded more, 
I want to be like God, determining good and evil for myself. With Adam, we put more stock in Satan's insinuations than we did in God's word and his goodness. You know, we had paradise. And yet we tried to steal God's throne. Our rebellion and our sin is dreadful unless we take seriously our ruin in Adam. We will never cling. And by cling, I mean cling as a man who holds on to a sliver of wood in the middle of the ocean after a shipwreck. My only deliver, my only hope. We will never hold fast to him unless we have some sense of our ruin. I often think the womb of regeneration in our day seems fast closed. There doesn't seem to be too many men being truly converted in the West. Now, there are all kinds of people who are changing their religious opinions. There are all kinds of people who are saying, hey, I I like this show over at this church, and I like the show at this church over there. Over here, I was... I am really growing and I feel close to God. But understand, being saved in the new birth is not a change of personal opinion or merely how I feel may feel about a certain church. That is not the new birth. Having a different religious view than you did before. That won't get you into heaven, my friends. That is not the new birth. Finding an exciting form of worship that suits your personal preference is not the new birth. Many people think themselves saved because they make a few surface changes in their life. That is not the new birth. We must be struck to the quick by our contamination and condemnation in Adam. We are guilty. We can do nothing to remove that guilt. Our corruption goes very, very deep. It is traced in crimson letters all the way back to that fateful day when Adam said, I will be like God. I will do what I want to do. Now, of course, men scoff at this. And I understand that. But this is also why they scoff at Jesus Christ and the gospel. It is the reason many do not hold more tightly to Christ. It is the reason preaching today is not preaching. It is Therapy. What is the difference between preaching and therapy? Therapy is, what can I do to make you feel better? Preaching is, what does God say you must do to be saved and enjoy life in Him? There is a world of difference between therapy and preaching. Therapy is for suburbanites and cosmopolitans and those otherwise jaundiced because they are upset that they don't have their own printing press like the government does and can't have as much fun stuff as their next-door neighbors have. And therefore, they've got these psychosis. I'm worried. I have these health issues because I worry. And all these other things. Therapy lulls me to sleep. Tell me, Dr. Feelgood, everything is going to be all right. Preaching is god says nothing is going to be right. 
Nothing is going to be right until you get on your face before the cross of my son and say, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, a woman with an unclean heart, a man of unchaste thoughts. And it goes much further back than just what I have done in my life. I have been a rebel from the beginning like my daddy, Adam, and only one person can save me, the Lord Jesus Christ. You must say, Lord, have mercy on me. Save my soul and confirm me in loving you as my righteousness and my life. Amen. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.